0: These last few weeks, we have had the privilege of hearing from some of the members of our congregation about scriptures that have been particularly meaningful to them. And they are sharing with us a bit of what makes those scriptures so meaningful before one of the pastors preaches on that text. Today, I am delighted to welcome Bill Neal here to share with us verses from Isaiah chapter 40 and to tell us what those verses have meant to him. Thank you, Bill.
1: As Amy said, the... Scripture this morning is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 5 and 27 through 31. Please pray with me. Lord, as we listen to your word, I pray that you will open our ears to hear what is read and open our minds to understand what it means to us today. Amen. Comfort. COMFORT MY PEOPLE, SAYS YOUR GOD, SPEAK TENDERLY TO JERUSALEM, AND PROCLAIM TO HER THAT HER HARD SERVICE HAS BEEN COMPLETED, THAT HER SIN HAS BEEN PAID FOR, THAT SHE HAS RECEIVED FROM THE LORD'S HAND DOUBLE FOR ALL HER SINS. A VOICE OF ONE CALLING, IN THE WILDERNESS PREPARE THE WAY FOR THE LORD. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On a Friday, February 13th, Mary Sue and I were leaving for a Valentine's Day party. Jamie, our 17-year-old son, was also going out. Mary Sue hugged him and said to be careful. He replied nothing bad has ever happened to me on Friday the 13th. After the party, I received a phone call. Jamie had been injured in an automobile accident and was taken to Saint Mary's Hospital. The rescue squad was still at the hospital. Hoping that Jamie might have said something while in the ambulance, Mary Sue asked one of the EMTs if he had talked to him. He hung his head, paused, and said, no, ma'am, he didn't. Jamie was in the emergency room in a coma. He never recovered and died two days later. Our friends overwhelmed us with their support. We were even given a most helpful book on how to handle grief. In Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, there are three sermons John Claypool preached between the diagnosis of leukemia in his eight-year-old daughter and her death 18 months later. A fourth was preached two years later. A portion of what I had just read was the text for the sermon after Laura Lou emerged from nine months of remission. Two verses made a very lasting impression on me. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There are times in the lives of all of us when we are happy, things are going well, and we soar like eagles. At other times, we struggle with situations that are unpleasant or difficult. But we get through, we run, and don't grow weary. But how do you cope when your son or daughter is fatally injured? That's when the Lord renewed our strength through the support of this congregation and our other friends, one of whom gave us that very helpful book. That's when we began to walk and not be faint. In time, we recovered. With encouragement from her friends, Jamie used her, uh, Mary Sue (laughs) used her wonderful talent to become a professional floral designer. She had a successful career that lasted over 25 years. I became her gopher, her toter, and her bookkeeper. After more more time, we could run and not grow weary. We even soared with the birth of three great-grandsons. For me, The process began again last year when Mary Sue joined Jamie in the church triumphant. Again, I received overwhelming support from this congregation and most of the time I am walking again. A couple of times I even soared with the birth of, of two great granddaughters. Two years after Jamie's death, John Claypool was a lecturer for the Lenten series at St. Paul's Church. In one of his talks, he said something that has stuck with me ever since. He said, Given what we know about the past and what we do not know about the future, despair is presumptuous and hope a living possibility. Given what we know about the past, what we do not know about the future, despair is presumptuous and hope a living possibility. So remember these words from Isaiah, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint, amen.
0: Thank you, Bill, for that wonderful witness. It's been such a gift for me to hear so many of these stories, but um, if we keep this up, I'm gonna be out of a job. One of the formative experiences of the writer Ernest Hemingway's life was when he was injured while working as an ambulance driver in Europe during the First World War. Doctors pulled 237 pieces of shrapnel out of his body, and he spent six months recovering in a hospital. During that time, he became a keen observer of what was happening around him and he became especially fixated by the different ways that various patients waited for their battle wounds to heal. They endured periods of recovery that sometimes seemed endless, and some found ways to distract themselves. Others cried out, literally, in lament, and others were quiet, pondering what their situation would mean for their lives and for their futures. Preacher Tom Long observes that this experience seems to have really gotten into Hemingway's cycle because when he be or psyche when he began writing his novels the plot lines often centered around people who were waiting. Waiting to fight in a war, waiting for the bull to charge, waiting to be rescued at sea. There is no denying it. Waiting is a part of the human experience, from the trivial, waiting at a stoplight or waiting in line at a store, to the profound, waiting for healing, waiting for grief to abate, waiting to find love, waiting to die. It should not surprise us, then, that the Bible is full of stories of people waiting. Abram and Sarai waiting to have their promised child, the Israelites waiting to be freed from a life of bondage in Egypt, and then, after they were freed, waiting and wandering for 40 years in the wilderness to enter the promised land. David waiting for his turn to be Israel's king, God's people oppressed and marginalized, waiting for God's promised Messiah, the disciples, waiting to figure out just exactly who this Jesus was and waiting to figure out whether following him had in fact been a good idea, the early church, waiting for the full inbreaking of God's kingdom for which we wait still. What Hemingway learned about waiting is what we learn from these biblical stories and from the waiting we experience in our own lives. Waiting does not break us or shape us. Waiting reveals us. How we respond to our unique experiences of waiting reveals something about who we are. In today's passage, the prophet Isaiah offers words of comfort to the Israelites who are in exile. They are a people waiting. These words are addressed to people who are strangers in a strange land, who are refugees living far from home who are held captive by a hostile regime that destroyed and occupied their land, this is a people mired in grief. A people who had begun to question God's promises, to wonder if God cared about them, to ask whether God was even there at all. Isaiah knows that waiting, especially waiting through a period of uncertainty and suffering, can erode hope, even as it fuels doubt. But Isaiah also seems to know that wonderful quote that Bill shared with us, that when we look to the past, and especially to God's work in the past, despair is presumptuous. And when we admit that we cannot know the future, hope is always a possibility. Michael Scott Moore is a journalist who traveled to Somalia. He wanted to research and write a book on the history of piracy in the Horn of Africa. But he hadn't been there long when he was kidnapped by pirates who held him captive for two years and eight months. In his book about the experience, The Desert and the Sea, he writes hope is like heroin. a hostage, and it can be just as destructive. When asked about this line, he elaborated. Hope was a cycle, he said, and after a while, it became a destructive cycle. People ask me, how did you hang on to hope for two years and eight months? And the fact is, I didn't. I learned to live without hope. Having your hopes raised and then dashed every two weeks, which is what the guards tried to do to us, was devastating. It was actually no way to live. And so I had to find a different level of existing. He continues, It turns out you can live without hope, because hope and despair are just two ways of approaching an uncertain future. If you simply don't think forward to the future, don't insist on a rosy outlook for the next couple of weeks or months or years. You can live in the moment. That's what I had to learn to do. I would have snapped if I had done it any other way. Moore learned that when hope is directed only toward the future... It can actually be harmful if those hopes get dashed over and over again. His experience of waiting taught him the importance of living in the present moment, which is where he experienced a different kind of hope, a hope grounded in the reality of now rather than hope contingent on a future outcome. Being present also taught more the importance of relationships. He says that if he had to identify something positive about his years of captivity, it was the time he spent with other hostages because they became his friends. With those other people around, he couldn't just focus on his own misery. He was able to take comfort in the presence of others and to give comfort to those around him. It turns out that waiting not only reveals something about who we are, it reveals something about those with whom we surround ourselves while we wait. Like the friends who supported Bill and Mary Sue through the most difficult season of their lives. Friends who can help us hold onto hope, who can even be the hope when the future seems bleak, when we struggle to hold onto hope for ourselves. Notice that in this text, Isaiah does not address individuals. He is speaking to all of God's people collectively, calling them, especially in this season of waiting and suffering, and calling us in such seasons to help each other remember and cling to God's promises, which it turns out are true in the present moment, not just in some far-off future. Isaiah reminds exiles everywhere, including us, that we can take comfort in one another. He does this by identifying three different groups of people who are strengthened and upheld by God, by finding hope in the present with God those who mount up with wings like eagles, in other words, the strongest among us who can do extraordinary things. But he also points to those who run and don't get weary, who continue to make steady progress on their journeys. Finally, he calls out those who walk and do not faint, those who can barely put one foot in front of the other, but who nevertheless keep moving forward—three groups, each with a different gift that builds up the community and offers hope. In this one verse, the prophet describes a diverse community of people moving forward by the grace of God at different speeds, with different capabilities, but moving forward together. This reminds us that waiting, especially waiting for the promises of God, which can seem distant and uncertain, is more bearable when we do it together. This is, after all, what the first churches were about. They were groups of people who came together to wait for God's kingdom to be fully revealed. And this is not a passive kind of waiting, but an active one, While we wait, we gather together to worship and pray and learn and celebrate. We discern how we can use our resources to manifest God's promises and God's presence, God's justice and peace in our community and in our world. We support one another through difficulty and tragedy. We remind each other in word and deed that the God we wait for is already with us here and now, which means that hope is always a living possibility. All around us, within and beyond these walls, people are waiting, waiting and wondering, will God ever show up? to fulfill God's promises? Does God even care that we are suffering? Does God see that we are floundering? Have you not known, Isaiah writes, have you not heard? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Isaiah points out that God is at once beyond this world, even as God is intimately present to us. Of course, we live according to clock time, And that time can often feel like an enemy we are constantly racing against or a torturer that won't move fast enough. But God is not bound by our time. The pastor John Swinton has worked extensively with people with mental health challenges, intellectual disabilities, and dementia. Writing about what this work has taught him about God, he says, God's time is gentle and generous. It moves at the speed of love. In God's time, there is enough. Enough to sit down and draw a breath. Enough to look more deeply into the eyes of people we are lucky to love. Enough to feel the second hand of the clock stop ticking. God's time moves at the speed of of love. As we experience our own seasons of waiting, whatever it is we are waiting for, and as we draw alongside others who are waiting, our family members, our friends, the members of our church family, our neighbors down the street or strangers at our borders, what might it look like to draw alongside one another at the speed of love, to take time, however much time it takes, to offer support and compassion, comfort, and hope. Bill's story reminds us that our willingness to move at the speed of love, to trust that there is enough, enough time, enough attention, enough resources, enough hope. That might just make all the difference for someone in need. By being fully present to one another while we wait, we experience God's presence with us, even as we reveal and claim God's promises that in God's time, God will make all things new. Amen. Having heard